Into our hearts, into our hearts. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in this day. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. It is my prayer that because of this Christmas season and Christ in it, we have become closer to God and our journey is full of hope. My name is Hal Brady and I want to welcome you to Hal Brady Ministries. Thank you for joining me this evening and I truly hope you've had a marvelous Christmas. And my prayer is always that you will be blessed by the word and the music. I'm reading a very familiar story tonight in scripture. It comes from Luke chapter 2. You'll recognize it. In those days a decree went out from the Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be rested with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and he was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of a great joy, 
For to all the people, to you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he favors. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please for a prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Your will be done, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. It's in your name. Amen. Silently they sit, the men who fire the rockets. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. The landscape erupts. A dull tube pauses, then streaks into the sky. An eerie trail marks it clearly. 30,000 feet, 40,000, 50,000. The mark of the age in which we live. As you know, the frontiers of our world have changed. They've changed from earth to space, from manual to computer, from horsepower to nuclear power. Well, I read recently that a certain motor company had come out with a new electric car. It'll carry a family of eight, clear across the United States on $3 worth of power. The only problem is the extension cord that goes with it. That cost $2 million. As I said, we're living in the age of computers. We're living in the age of drones, of robots, and the future holds even more miraculous things. But into this fast-paced, moving, scientific, discovering world of ours comes Christmas. Why should we pause when all eyes are focused on the present and the future and look back some 2,000 years into the past? Why should we recall some steady old, some smelly old stable in an out-of-the-way place called Bethlehem? And why should our hearts thrill again as we hear the words, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn? In other words, why do we need Christmas to come? We need Christmas to come because we need to hear and heed the good news of Jesus Christ. First of all, the good news of Christmas is that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. What a needed word to hear. It happened suddenly and surprisingly and unexpectedly. These shepherds out on the hillside were suddenly jolted to their feet. They were terrified. They were fearful that their sheep had run off and would be lost forever. And then all of a sudden the darkness changed to day and they needed to hear the words, don't be afraid. How much we all need to hear those words, don't be afraid. A well-known minister was asked to bring a series of lectures on a college campus, and he wanted to know where the students were in their thinking and in their affections. So he asked to have a questionnaire conducted. So they did the questionnaire, and the minister was amazed and surprised when he discovered that the problem of these young people was simply a deep-seated sense of fear. They were afraid of commitment. They were afraid to love. They were afraid of failure. They were afraid of the future. They were afraid of this, that, and many, many other things. And if you'll take the time to visit some older people in, say, an older adult home, you will find a whole bunch of other fears, legitimate fears. Fear is real and can overcome all of us. I remember a fear I had years ago when I decided that I needed my wife's 
parents' permission to marry my wife. So it was late in 1961, one afternoon, I decided to go over and ask my wife's parents if I could have her hand in marriage. But I wanted to wait for my father to come home so he could give me some encouragement, but he never came. So finally, in my impatience, I got in my car and I drove over to my wife's house. She was going to be my wife. And as I got to her driveway, suddenly I had an acute attack of fear. And I thought, well, maybe my father's home by now. So I just turn around and go see if he's there. So I turned around and rode back to my house. Well, when I got there, he wasn't there. So I waited, waited, waited for him to come, but he never came. So I got in the car, and rather impatiently again, I drove my car to my wife's then driveway, and I was getting ready to go in, but suddenly it dawned on me, I'm sure my father's home by this time, so I turned around and drove the car back to my house again. But when I got there, he wasn't there. I waited, waited, waited. He didn't come. He never did come. Finally, I just got in my car and drove over to her house and went up her driveway, and with all the courage I could muster, I asked her parents, for her hand in marriage. I'm going to tell you, that was a scary, frightening day for me. But if we should live to December the 27th, we will be married 52 years. As I said, I don't want to make light of fear because it's real and it can overcome us. There is no question about it. But I want you to hear the good news of Christmas. The good news of Christmas is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That is the important thing we need to grapple with as we come to this part of the Christmas story. Don't be afraid. For there in that Bethlehem manger lies the certainty of God's love and presence, his grace and forgiveness, his word that we are important and we are worth something, and our eternal security. So the coming of Christ means that we don't ever have to be afraid again. The Apostle Paul asked that question. He said, can anything separate us from the love of God? And then he said, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of sword? Then he said, no, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The professor said, there we all are gathered around the manger on Christmas Eve, putting the animals, the angels, the wise men, the shepherds, around a baby who's a small center of sanity in a large and crazy world. Isn't that beautiful? A small center of sanity in a large and crazy world. That's that baby in Bethlehem. A small center of sanity in a large and crazy world. You know, Jesus Christ is God's answer to the world's gloom. Our fears grow out of our forgetfulness of him. The first message of Christmas is don't be afraid. The second message of Christmas is, and the second message of good news is, nobody's left out. Nobody's left out. There's an associate minister who was giving a children's sermon at a rather large church service. The chancel was full of children. There was not an empty space anywhere. So she concluded her message by saying, and God loves you and you and you and you, and she was pointing. And then she gave them a minute to think about it. And then before long, a little boy who had been behind the baptismal font, raised his hand and said, what about me? That little boy spoke for a lot of people who feel left out, spoke for the poor and the oppressed, those who are unnoticed and forgotten and indifferent. That little boy was speaking for a lot of people. You know, personally, I'm so grateful that God's first message came to the shepherds because, you see, the shepherds represent all of us. They're the common people. 
The common jobs, the ordinary jobs, they represent every one of us. The good news is that absolutely nobody is left out. Nobody is left out. What a key and important thing that is. Now, we are all included in the grace-filled love of God. We cannot get out of that love even if we wanted to. There's nothing we can do to keep God from loving us or to make him stop loving us. He loves us all, anyway, every day. Now, if, if nobody's left out, that means some implication for the way we live our lives. If God didn't leave anybody out, then he doesn't want us to leave anybody out either. Listen, the blessedness and loving of Christmas come alive at Christmas because God invested himself in humankind. And because God reinvested himself in humankind, we reinvest ourselves in each other. So what are some of the practical things we can give each other at Christmas or at any other time? First of all, we can give each other our time. What if we suddenly visit somebody that we need to visit? Or we made a phone call to somebody who needs to hear from us? Or what if we participated in a ministry we had never participated in? We can give each other our time. Then we can give each other our empathy. Not long ago, my wife and I attended a football game. It was a very exciting game with great expectancy everywhere. The place was packed. Three rows down from us were three young adults. These young adults stood the whole game. Even when nothing was going on, they continued to stand, which means that anybody behind them would also have to stand if they were going to see the game. The lady sitting behind them, she would like to sit down, and she did, but she couldn't see. Finally, she went to the authorities, and a little while, a state patrolman came up. Now, the issue was the rights of those three young adults to stand up against the rights of that woman to sit in her seat and see. What a shame. Rights replaced empathy. There was no walking in anybody else's shoes. Absolutely no walking in anybody else's shoes. So we can give each other our empathy. Then we can give each other forgiveness. I hope you'll hear this. Forgiveness is not forgive and forget. Forgiveness is remember and forgive. And then we can give each other our friendship. Henry Ford took a man out to lunch and asked him, he said, who's your best friend? And before the man could answer, Henry Ford took a napkin out and he wrote on it these words, your best friend is the one who brings out the best in you. Can't we do that for somebody else? Can't we bring the best out of somebody else, out of them? So the good news of Christmas is that nobody is left out. And then the good news of Christmas is that peace is still the hope. Peace is still the hope. You know, in my ministry, I've taken the time to write to soldiers in various wars. I'd like to read you one of the responses that I received back from a young man in one of the wars that I wrote. This man was telling me about what was going on in the world where he was. But I want you to listen to his word. Dear Hal, Thanks so much for your kind words. I was glad to hear from you. Our company is both back at the battalion fire base for a few days before we go back to the field. It's a hard life over here. The folks at home don't realize how much they have to be thankful for. I've seen enough in the last few months to last a lifetime. I mean killing and fighting. When I first came over here, 
I didn't hate these people, but as time goes by, you learn to hate them, and you want to kill them. I know it's wrong to hate, but you see friends get wounded, and you want to get even for them. Much of what goes on over here is wrong. Some of these men are hard, and usually they kill anything that gets in their way. I guess it's just part of the misfortune of war. Maybe someday there'll be no more wars, but I guess that's just too much to ask for. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men and women with whom he is pleased. Several years back, one of America's newest submarines sailed out of harbor. A mile or so out, something happened to the submarine and sank in the mud, trapping the crew down below. Tugs worked feverishly trying to free these trapped men before their oxygen failed. They were unsuccessful. The last message they ever heard from the submarine before their oxygen failed were these words, Is there hope? Is there hope? That's the cry that goes up all around the world, even as I speak. Is there hope for this world in which we live? Years ago, a prophet under the starry sky raised his eyes and said, Oh God, is there hope? And the voice of God came back to him, Yes, Micah, there's hope. But when and where cried the prophet, back came the answer in Bethlehem. And since that time, Bethlehem has become the symbol of hope, not only for the ancient Jews, but for you and me and everybody else all across the world. Beloved, our world is a world that's half mad. It's full of grief, it's full of greed, it's full of war, it's full of vengeance, it's full of violence. And yet here comes Christmas with its beautiful message of peace. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The good news of Christmas is that peace is still the hope of the world. And then also Christmas is a great time of knowing how to love other people. It's a time of experiencing Jesus Christ firsthand. Beloved, if we don't know that Christmas is about Christ, then we're much like the man that went into the bus station in Athens, Georgia to get a ticket to Greenville, South Carolina. This man went up to the counter and said, listen, ma'am, I'd like a ticket to Greenville. She said, the bus is going to be a little late. Have a seat. Well, he started over to have a seat, and he saw this little machine. Tells your name, your age, and so forth. He said, I got a minute. He reached in his pocket, pulled out a nickel, stuck it in the slot. Down the slot came a ticket. It said, your name is Tom Smith. You're 35 years of age. You live in Athens, Georgia, and you're waiting on a bus to Greenville, South Carolina. Well, the man couldn't understand how that machine could tell him that. He said, I'll try it again. He reached in his pocket, pulled out a nickel, stuck it in the slot. Down the slot came a ticket. It said, your name is Tom Smith. You're 35 years of age. You live in Athens, Georgia, and you're waiting on a bus to Greenville, South Carolina. Well, the man said, maybe if the machine couldn't see me. So he turned around backwards, and he put a coin in. Down the slot came a ticket. He pulled it out, said, your name is Tom Smith. You're 35 years of age. You live in Athens, Georgia, and you're waiting on a bus to Greenville, South Carolina. This was getting to be a battle between the man and the machine. He said, I'm going to try one other thing. He walked out of the bus station to the local drugstore. He said to the lady behind the counter, he said, you got some of those big glasses with a big nose? She said, sure. He said, what about some false ears? He put those on his head. He said, give me that wig. He put it on his head. He saw a black cape. He put it over his shoulder. He, he got a cane. He developed a limp. He was so disguised his own mother wouldn't recognize him. So he went out of the drugstore back up to the bus station. He went into the bus station up to the counter 
reached in his pocket, pulled out a nickel, stuck it in the slot, down the slot, came to take it. Said, your name is Tom Smith, you're 35 years of age, you live in Athens, Georgia, and while you've been fooling around, you've missed the bus to Greenville, South Carolina. This man fooled around and missed the bus. If we don't know that Christmas, bottom line, is about Jesus Christ, we're going to fool around and miss the bus to the whole life. You know, I read about a lady who was so caught up in the rush of Christmas that she forgot to send any Christmas cards. So at the very last minute, she rushed out to buy Christmas cards. She found them, and she filled it out. She put a little note in it, and she got them in an envelope, and she was so excited. That it was a beautiful picture of the nativity scene. It was a wonderful message inside. She took it and mailed it. She mailed 49 out of the 50 cards she brought. But when she went home that night, she was sitting down relaxing. She was just looking at the one card she had left. And as she looked at it, all of a sudden, horror struck her, her face. She looked down and she saw something she had not seen before. It said, in a few days, in a little print, in a few days, a gift will be coming to your house. Well, 49 people would be expecting a gift which would never come. But the beauty of Christmas is that God's gift has come. God's gift has come in Jesus Christ. So where is the merry and merry Christmas? Where is the joy and joy to the world? Where is the happy and happy holidays? I'll tell you where it is. The soaring gladness of Christmas comes in the form of Jesus Christ become flesh and living among us. Now, some of you will remember the name Ellis MacDougall. Ellis MacDougall for years was the head of the Georgia prison system. He was a state executioner before the Supreme Court decision on capital punishment, he was the only man who could put somebody to death without the law enforcement agencies coming after him. He said he had had the part in the death of six men. One of them was from Georgia. He said he would remember going down to the cell, picking the man up, handcuffed him so he couldn't fight. They took him down to the chair where the electric chair is. They put him in that room. They strapped him up with straps around his chest, arms, and legs. They backed up and said, you got anything to say? And they said for a few minutes, he just told them off. But then the electrical current was turned on, and when the current hit the man's body, it was so strong, it popped every button off of the man's shirt. And so they cut the electricity off. There was a dead man in the chair. They cleared the room. Then Addis MacDougall and a guard went over to unfasten the straps which were around the man's chest, arms, and legs. And when they did, they noticed his shirt was open, and they saw a tattoo on his chest. And underneath the tattoo were these words, born to lose, not a chance. Nobody's born to lose because of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. The word became flesh. So we look back at a little stable in Bethlehem. We see a star, the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, Mary, Joseph, and the little Christ child. And oh yes, we remember and see that little Christ child. So why do we need Christmas to come? We need to hear and heed again the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for this wonderful season that we celebrate the coming of Christ into the world. We pray, O oh God, that it will make a difference not only in the world but in us so that we can make a difference. Thank you again for this opportunity, and my prayer is that you'll bless everyone within hearing or the sight of this program. Bless them all. Make them a blessing. It's in your name. Amen. I hope you have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy, Happy New Year. Blessings on you. Good night.